0: Oh, Welcome to the Tuesday Home and Away edition of the No Ceilings NBA Draft Show. I'm your host this week, Tyler Metcalf, but you all hear my voice plenty. More importantly, I'm joined by Derek Murray from Cerebro Sports. Derek, thank you for taking the time. How's it going?
1: Man, what's going on? I appreciate you having me. Um, It's kind of getting to that point to where draft talk is, it's no longer just, hey, let's see what they look like. It's like, all right, now we've got, you know, a big sample size under a belt. We got a lot of games and this is when it gets like really, really fun. So I appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like Cerebro Sports is, you know, this company that is starting to really take off. You guys are popping up all over the place. Um, And I'm sure listeners of the show listen to a lot of other NBA and draft shows, and your statistic CRAM is popping up a little bit. So before we dive into some guys that um, you sent me that are grading out really well in that statistic, I want to just kind of get a better feel for Cerebro. What? your guys' kind of mission is, what your aim is, and talk about a little bit of the C-RAM stat. Um, So just first, Cerebro Sports, what is your guys' kind of aim in the basketball space?
1: Yeah, so our goal is to be um, you know, the biggest basketball player database in the world. And to an extent, we already are. We have more data than anybody else on the planet um, on players from all over the world at all different ages. And our mission is to make meaningful basketball, (coughs) excuse me, start younger. Like a lot of people in the space, it's when does meaningful basketball start? It's, um, you know, maybe when a kid starts playing real dudes or when he hits 17U or whenever stats are start, you know, being collected on paper by live statisticians. And and when you talk to NAI coaches, you talk to Blue Blood College coaches, you talk to NBA guys, you know, the varying answers of when does meaningful, meaningful basketball start is different. So we try to aggregate, clean, collect high school data from all over the, all over the country um, as our separator and our differentiator. So we have every pro league in the world, NBA back to, I mean, forget what our database goes back to, 1980, you know, college back to, back to 2002. Um, and we house both public, uh, publicly available and not publicly available data through data partners, um, event operators, and stuff like that. So what we do is we try to help colleges and NBA teams paint real pictures of kids starting as early as we can. You know, we want to track development from, 15U to 16U to 17U. We want the Christmas tournaments. We want school ball. We want the shoe circuits in the summer. That way colleges and NBA teams can paint full pictures of what this player is. Um, You know, from a draft perspective specifically for this show, we've seen guys in college who, hey, they shot 39% from three, you know, in college this year as a freshman. Great. You know, the next level hopefully people go to is what kind of volume. Okay. Well, they only took 35 threes this year. Okay, let's pump the brakes on how much we love that. Our goal and in our platform, you can go back and see what these players shot as a senior, junior, and sophomore in high school and find out if it's real. You know, there's nothing more frustrating in my mind than a college coach or an NBA guy finding, you know, being told, hey, this kid can shoot and then just buying it. I try to be like, hey, look, I don't shoot the messenger, but (laughs) no, he can't. Or historically, he cannot. You know, let's figure out. If it's a mechanical thing, if it's a mental thing, and then if you want him on your team, let's figure out how to get the best out of him. Maybe you go and see a game, you know, like all of us will go to college games and you see a guy go over. Okay, here's a great example. I live in Oklahoma City. I went down and watched Alabama get the brakes beat off of them by OU. Um, If that was the only game of Brandon Miller I saw all year, that would be really tough. Yeah. But, you know, in our stuff, the eval starts two years ahead of time it starts 10 games in the year ahead of time. So that when I go see Brandon Miller, I have expectations of, okay, I'm watching this. I'm watching the feet do this. I'm watching the hand do this. Um, It's not just like blank slate. So that's kind of a quick overview of at least like what it is. Um, Mm -hmm. Our CRAM metric is what we're known most for. And it's a metric that it translates um, and contextualizes events from a tiny middle school you know, local OKC Christmas tournament all the way up to the NBA. And what it does is it compares your performance, a player's performance to an average performer in said event. So it's up to you, Tyler, it's up to you as a scout to determine how much you value the strength of an event. You know, if you are grading Taylor Hendricks this year, Taylor Hendricks is one I love to use just because you've been good at UCF. And again, our metrics on him pre, pre-college pre like are awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's up to the evaluator to determine how much of how much they value the strength of a Florida state tournament versus the city of Palms versus an UIBL weekend versus a top 100 camp versus a beach ball classic. Like we're not here to tell you what to think, but our job is to paint a picture of this is how he performed in A, B and C events in this kind of setting loose structured against this competition, against top kids, against lower kids, against local kids, national um, we just put all that in one place and then let people make the best decisions that they can.
0: Awesome. So when you say you, you it compares it against the average performance, what's kind of the benchmark number for that average performance? And like when when do guys start getting into the range where it's like, oh wow, this is really impressive? And you know the opposite.
1: Yeah. So our RAM is a soft scale zero to ten. So you can go over ten. Um, again, let's say you just annihilate your competition, like Cooper Flag or Cameron Boozer. You know, Cooper mm-hmm. Flag in his main state playoffs, like he's, you know, like a 17, 18, because he is that much better. Um, for anybody who's been to an event before and somebody maybe texts or calls us, hey, what did this kid look like? And if the answer is a shrug and you go, oh, he's just a dude. He's just, he's just a guy. <laughs> Our just a dude number is 5.5. 5. Okay. So if you're around 5.5, 5, you you know six seventh man rotation you got some minutes you were fine as you creep up towards eight nine ten you're going okay there's some real juice here and this guy this guy whooped his competition um we have gold silver bronze so gold is usually a top one percentile performer in event silver is generally seven to eight percentile and, and bronze is usually 12 to 15. so if you see bronze on a kid's profile a lot it's not a you know third out of three Right. He's a top 12 percentile performer in everything he plays in. And, and what happens is, regardless of the strength of an event, when you start looking at kids' profiles, you see gold, silver, gold, silver, bronze, and you see all this color. It makes you go, okay, like there is there is something here that even though I have not seen this kid in person, over these 45 games in 13 events, he's never been average. Like he's been better than everybody everywhere. Maybe as a a mid major. Maybe I should go check this kid out. Maybe an NBA guy. Maybe we should send this kid. Maybe we should send an NBA guy to Peach Jam to to watch this kid just in case he ends up being a one and done. You know, so that's kind of it's a zero to ten, but five point five is kind of your average. And as you get towards 10, uh you're whooping people.
0: Sure. And you you mentioned that it's based on that specific competition or that specific tournament that they're playing in. Have you found any I I'm, Maybe, maybe this is a poor way of wording it, but any struggles kind of comparing based on levels of competition, whereas like you mentioned Cooper Flagg and his, you know, high school main numbers being just absurd. And this isn't to discredit Cooper Flagg, because I think he's a really good player. But how do you compare something like that to someone who's playing at like Montverde or Sunrise Christian um, and, you know, kind of similar to, you know, someone playing at Duke versus like Tulsa? Just grab yeah. the names out.
1: Yeah, and that's where we take the stance of we don't try to tell you what to think. So we don't take all of the events and compress them into one magic number because, to your point, and as we look, like it's not fair. It's like Jaden Shoot is at Duke. He played in 1A in, I believe it was Illinois. I mean, he used gold, mm-hmm. gold, 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 boom. I mean, just whooped everybody because he's a <laughs> power five player playing a 1A basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, when he went and played at the top 100 camp, I believe he was just like an average performer in that event. I think he was like a five point something or six point something. So again, that's not me saying, hey, let's bring shoots average down to number X. But I'd say, okay, if he performs great against this competition, he's average against this one. Um, You can look at some kids in the 23 high school class in very structured environments. They're very average. I mean, very loose. Roll the ball out. It's filmed and not statted. You know, after we're able to uh, create box scores off of that stuff through video partners, they look amazing in loose settings. And that is where we just tell the coach, the evaluator, the scout, like, Hey, we're not here telling you what to think, but maybe think about your system versus where this kid clearly excels versus where he struggles and where he plays. So there's a lot of reading between the lines. There's a lot of knowing and having your pulse on grassroots basketball as a part of the context of the numbers. Um, yeah, like I we, we don't believe like, hey, if the numbers say this, you should recruit or sign or draft like it is. It is a part of the process. It is pointing you in the right direction. Maybe we should go watch. You know, he was great in this tournament. So let's watch this film. He struggled in this one. So let's see what a bad weekend looks like, too. Um, I think what it looks like when a kid misses shots is just as important as when he when he's making them. So that's why we don't compress it to your point. Like, you know, in the competition levels, um, it's up to the evaluator or, or, or
0: the client to kind of mm-hmm. make that decision. Gotcha. So it's it's a number, it's how they're performing, but it doesn't try to eliminate or take away the importance of context and the environment that they're performing in.
1: Correct. I think something that's really dangerous is when people take numbers out of context, Yeah. whether that's a box score, points, you know, shot, literally anything, any kind of metric, any kind of analytic, anything like that. Um, forced context or ignoring context, I think, is bad. So we our goal is to get people, our clients, as much clean data as possible. Um, if they want our opinion, we're happy to give it, but we just, we'd say this is a basketball tool for basketball people, um, to make the best decisions they can, however they f- see fit.
0: Awesome. So just, uh, obviously, so you, you guys are a relatively young company, but you've been around for a little bit now. Who are some of the guys in college basketball who have really impressed with their CRAM numbers that, it, and that's kind of translated to the pros?
1: Yeah. So last, you know, looking at last year, um, last two years specifically, David Roddy um, just jumps out like immediately. I want to go see him in person in Colorado State, and and obviously when you see him, you're like, oh, that's that's an NFL defensive lineman, yeah. like <laughs> that's a, that's a grown man, like this is a football player. Um, but when you look at him again in our metrics from an efficiency standpoint, a volume standpoint, our our numbers are built. Our five skill scores, which people can go to the website cerebralsports.com/glossary, shameless plug. Um, you can read about it. Roddy performs well across the board um both from a volume and an efficiency standpoint and guys up there he was with it was like keegan murray chet holmgren um you know ryan calcran ej liddell mark williams and then roddy's ahead of basically everybody other than keegan and chet and that one just kind of like really jumped out at me um because it's like you know he's good you know it when you see it but then when you really see the numbers compared to other guys you're like wow like that's that's incredible um Evan Mobley's defensive statistical impact is kind of wild. Yeah, when you look at him from a, um, a defender's per, uh, defender perspective, again, Mobley was Mobley was nuts. Uh, Santi Aldama was really really efficient across the board. Baylor Shireman the last two years, so in 2020 and last year, um, and I believe once again <laughs> is uh, look looking really good uh, in the database. Chris Duarte's numbers were really really special. Um, Trying to just scroll through real quick. Anybody else? Let's see. I'd say those are the guys that. Oh, AJ Green. A.J. Green was a uh, a gold performer, um, and then went to summer league and absolutely torched people. And I believe I believe he got at least some kind of minutes with the Bucks. Um, so those are guys again. When you, when you see guys who are both efficient um, and can handle usage and can handle volume, like that's a unique combination. Mm-hmm. It's not just yeah, kid scored 25 points a game, but he shot 30 times. Like, okay, well, he shot us right into some L's. You know, our metrics are going to favor the guys who who check out on both fronts. Um, those are just some names that jump out at me, at least the last couple of years.
0: Awesome. Well, a couple of the names that you sent me of guys who are grading out really well this year are Anthony Black, Bryce Sensabaugh, mm-hmm. Casey Wallace, and Grady Dick. Um, but before we dive into them, let's take a quick ad break. All right. And we're back. So let, let's start off with Anthony Black. So b- before we started recording, you were kind of teasing me a little bit with how impressive and kind of unique Anthony Black's statistical profile has been. And he's been one of these guys that I've admittedly struggled with a lot throughout this, this whole season. So what to you really jumps off the screen or off the page or with the numbers with Anthony Black?
1: six seven underclassmen you know six seven freshmen who can pass facilitate score and hold usage are unicorns um people i've talked to you know if there was a knock on him right now maybe it's that he's not an elite athlete but again he's a six seven kid who can play point guard um, in high school excelled across the board in every setting um, in our database we got him in pangos nba top 100 The Hoop Fest, um, many things through Kellen Buffington, Texas State playoffs, McDonald's, Nike, a lot of FIBA stuff. And the kid is just good everywhere. And that's one where you go, okay, when I watch him, yes, maybe there's a concern here. Maybe I wish the shot looked a little bit better here. Like across our five metrics, his lowest is 3PE, which is three-point shooting combined, again, combining volume and efficiency. Um, I think that his work ethic and historically he has been up and down as a shooter. But I don't think it's so concerning that, like, I worry or think he should slip or anything like that. Um, I believe that he's going to end up in that, I don't know, 10 to 15, mid to late lottery. You know, it's still a little early to start putting ranges on kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but his numbers are, are, again, genuinely impressive. And I, I typed in his metrics. So uh, across college basketball, Division One since 2002, six, six plus freshmen with his five, metrics, uh, five metric scores, Anthony Black, Lonzo Ball, R.J. Barrett, and Tyreek Evans. I mean, that's a special crop. Like sometimes you see lists where it's, you know, there are NBA guys, there are guys who are eh, in college or, you know, maybe went overseas. I mean, this list tells me like, okay, there's something here. So I wouldn't expect him to fall too far in the draft. Um, I think he's been really good at Arkansas. And, again, the numbers aren't everything. They never should be everything. But his are so good across the board where I think it's kind of hard to ignore them.
0: Yeah. And when when I say I'm struggling with him, I still have him like, you know, top 15. And it's he's just it feels like one of these guys where the context at Arkansas isn't necessarily ideal for what his skill set may be. If you mentioned the shot, I have a lot of concerns about that. But then when you envision or when you watch the Arkansas tape, the spacing on that team is rough because they just don't really have any shooters, especially with Trevon Brazil going down and Nick Smith being hurt for most of the year. Um, In more of an NBA spacing, do you think that's where Anthony Black's kind of skill sets, ability to pressure the rim, his driving kick ability, the playmaking, the cutting, the slashing, offensive rebounding, all that kind of stuff really gets elevated to the next level and is able to really shine a little more than it maybe has at Arkansas?
1: I do. I think in moments, um, again, the lack of like great athleticism in traffic, you know, I do think sometimes, you know, some defenders are able to elevate higher than him and stuff like mm-hmm. that. When you give him more room to operate again, he sees the floor so well, um, has great feel um, and, and instincts. I'm just at least today, like I'm just genuinely like not that concerned because you're right. Like when when the floor opens up and he has even more room to operate than he already is like, I mean, he could be really, really special.
0: So at the next level, what what do you kind of just envision his role being because he he's 67, so he's the size of, you know, most small forwards um or you know wings, but he has the skill set of a point guard. Do you think he plays more on ball, off ball point, you know, whatever? Or do you think it's just one of these guys where hey, just roll the ball out, go play?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would I would run him off or on the ball. Um being here in OKC, you know, you watch how Josh Giddy is used. Mm-hmm. And while they are different, you know, Giddys, <laughs> Giddys big. Like, <laughs> right? people haven't seen him. You got per- Giddys big. Um, I mean, but that kind of role, honestly, i let him initiate the offense. Um, neither one of them have some lightning fast, quick step that they cook you with. But they just open up the floor for any everybody. And when they are hitting their threes off the dribble, like you're just gonna lose the game. Like just that just is what it is. So uh, that I would I would definitely play him on the ball. I think as a decision maker, that's what he's gonna be really good at.
0: And we you know, obviously it, it i I hate being like or the 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 cliche of, oh, well, if the shot comes around, if the shot comes around, because obviously, for anyone, if the shot really improves, that increases their ability to play. How important do you think his kind of shooting progression as a pro, how important do you think that's it that's going to be for him to really make or earn a meaningful role and kind of really grow into the potential that a lot of people think he has?
1: I think he can raise his ceiling. I don't think it's going to hurt his floor. Okay. So this year, uh, let's see, what is he? 30.3% from three uh, at Arkansas in high school. Of all the games we have from him, he is 32.8. So I believe this is like a, he is what he is. I don't think he's going to be some horrible, you know, don't have to respect him mid twenties, three point shooter in the league. I also don't, think he's going to be or need him to be a 40 percent guy so I think if you can keep him in that low to mid 30s um, I think that's I think that's perfectly fine I don't I don't think his again it won't let his ceiling go all the way up but I don't think it hurts his floor or his stock at all
0: and is so much of that just because of the difference in NBA spacing compared to what he's experiencing at in Arkansas and just how that slight hesitation a defender might have to give on a closeout can just open up a lot of different options for him
1: well, in the pick and roll, too, he'll have so much more room to make decisions and so much more room to create space than he is right now in this offense in Arkansas. I think even just the um, the style of play on the perimeter, um, off the initiation, off the pick and roll, I think will
0: give him room. When you watch his film, just numbers aside, you know, efficiencies, struggles, inefficiencies, whatever, all of that aside, when you watch him, what gets you just really excited about his game?
1: The fact that he knows how to get defenders off balance at six foot seven um, and also kind of have his way making you think he's going one way to go the other. And again, that can be with a foot, that can be with a pass, that can be with his eyes. Like he is able to manipulate you into what he wants you to do. And at six foot seven for an 18 year old, well, 19 year old now. But that is just like, it's not normal. <laughs> so that's where like a lot of times in lead guards, I want you to be extremely athletic. Um, Black is one of the, honestly, my personal exceptions where I'm really not concerned because defending him is just a nightmare because he can kind of toy with you however he wants to.
0: All right. I'm 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 fascinated to see kind of what the rest of his season looks like with Nick Smith coming back, um, because I, I just think that opens up a lot more of the spacing that you know we've talked about. Um, do you have any concerns with him kind of down the stretch run here, or do you think just Nick Smith coming back is just good for everyone on that team?
1: I think it's probably good for everyone. Um, Obviously, I do think Black's usage, like the usage will obviously go down. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's good for everybody. Like, Nick needs some reps. Um, He needs to get out there and play. So I don't, maybe there's, you know, two, three, four games where it's all right, let's figure out the flow and the groove here again. But I think it'll be good for the team. All
0: right. Well, one of the other names that you sent me, um, again, another guy I've really struggled with this year. So I'm excited to talk about him with you is Bryce Sensibah from Ohio State. And the the dude's just a flat out bucket. Uh, his shooting touch is incredible. Um, you know, I the off ball shooting, the on ball shooting, the mid range touch, um, it's all really impressive. What has really stood out to you with Sensabaugh this year?
1: Yeah, Bryce is just one of those guys that good things happen. You know, he's one of those where whether he's shooting, um, whether he's defending the perimeter for you, whether he's having to defend the block again as a as an undersized quote, undersized guy, at you know, 6'6", six, six, 240, yeah. <laughs> whatever he is, um, good things just kind of happen. Again, big freshmen with that kind of vision, they don't come around all the time. What I really like is the shooting, mid-range from three. I just think at the NBA level, it's going to work. Um, in our database, again, before he even got to college, he was a 41% three-point shooter. And I just think that I don't think that's fake. You know, <laughs> he didn't really have bad weekends. He didn't go up and down. He didn't get really cold. Uh, he's 48% from the floor, 41 from three, 77 from the free throw line. Um, I just think that translates because that's who he's always been. I thought he was extremely underrated um out of high school. So I, I think senseball goes. It's interesting where guys of his kind of size and play style have gone the last couple drafts. So I don't know how high he goes. You know, I'm I've heard everywhere from 15 to 30. I've heard kind of everything. So I have no way to kind of gauge what the range is right now. I think we'll have to wait until probably after March Madness for that. Um, but I do really like Bryce Sensible. I think he is who he is. I don't really think any of this shooting or anything is fake. So I think he's a real, a real dude.
0: So you you mentioned his let's say unique dimensions. Um who do, is there anyone in the league that he kind of reminds you of? Because and obviously we're not doing one-for-one one comps or anything. I just he's so unique as a player that I, I'm struggling I always struggle to kind of figure out. All right. What kind of archetype is he? What type of role does he fit in? And you know who has kind of been of that mold that has succeeded in the NBA?
1: I'll be honest. <laughs> I avoid comps like the plague, so I haven't <laughs> even thought about it. <laughs> it's not a uh, I, that's fair. that I don't I can... have them. I have genuinely not thought about it.
0: <laughs> that's entirely fair. So just with with his shooting, um, and he is the definition of a tough shot maker. And I, I do think that that is a legitimate skill and, you know, something we see the top scores in the NBA regularly use on a nightly basis. But I'm a little concerned that he struggles to really create space against college defenders and kind of mediocre college athletes. Um, am I just overthinking that? Are you seeing anything similar to that? Where, where you are with just kind of the the fact that So many of his shots, while, you know, a lot of them go in and they look gorgeous, not a ton of them feel super easy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel I think there's something to that, especially like you said, the athleticism point. Uh, If you look at him as a shooter, he's a 97 percentile shooter on the catch and shoot, um, 95th when heavily guarded, 81st percentile off the dribble as a jumper, 35th percentile on runners and 17th percentile at the rim. So there are some concerns at the rim and, and that's one of those, where, like the numbers just show it and they are what they are. So whether it's going off one foot, two feet, you know, the um, seven footers, uh, elite athletes do give them some trouble. Um, I think this is one where you look at, okay, let's not put you in some tough spots where you're asked to do, or we're asking you to do things that aren't maybe your best attribute or your best skill. So this is where I think the shooting pull up, um, especially on the perimeter from three catch and shoot. I think that's where the value is and, Maybe he's just a guy that we don't ask to go in there and and bang at the rim.
0: And another kind of concern I've had with him uh, more so earlier in the season than now was the lack of passing and playmaking. But I think as the season's gone on, I think we've seen him kind of grow out of that, you know, being, let's say a black hole and really kind of starting to spray the ball around and use his scoring gravity to find cutters, find those corner shooters out of you know driving kick opportunities. Is that something you think that he can or will continue to grow into, and could be a legitimate skill for him down the road?
1: I do. So if you look at his high school stuff, um, you know when you go to his when you go to his FGS, his four general skills, none of it is again based on our metrics. <laughs> I I'll ha- I'm happy to walk through and demo with anybody. It's very hard over a podcast to explain what this looks like to people. Um, but our metrics track growth trajectory, if you will. You can see, okay, instead of just oh, he was at two assists per game here, and now he's at three, or now he's at one. Like again, it's usage, it's volume, it's how long you on the ball, it's it's assists, it's turnovers, it's um, how many minutes you're playing. FGS has consistently been his lowest attribute. It's been his lowest skill score. You know, everything from UIBL to stuff in Florida to a bluegrass tournament to the Florida State playoffs. He is kind of right on par now where he was in all those events. So his numbers here at Ohio State are kind of right on track with what they are. Um, I think it's it's important in the way I look at it that it didn't go down. So you jump up in competition level, and the floor general skills did not drop. That's important to me. So I think he's a guy that, as a passer, I think it will take time to develop and become a real skill in the NBA. I would not at all expect him to come in early and be any kind of facilitator. Um, But if you look at, again, a a growth path, um, there's enough there to make me say, like, okay, we can get somewhere. You know, some guys, sometimes you look at numbers, you're like, ooh, it was bad in high school and it got worse as the competition went up. Um, And that to me is a red flag. But even though it's not the ball's greatest strength, we're not looking at a situation like that either.
0: Makes a ton of sense. Um, Then finally, with his defense, I have been less than enthused about it i think there's some encouraging signs i think and obviously he's incredibly strong and we see that with his rebounding his ability to kind of defend in the post um body guys up i i think he shows a little better defending on the perimeter when he's matched up against maybe bigger slower wings um where he can get a little more physical it's the off ball stuff that really kind of worries me um where are you at just in, personally with his defense or what, what what do your kind of metrics say
1: I do wish that he was at more than 1.0 stocks per game. So he's at one, you know, 0.6 steals, 0.4 blocks per game and 2.6 fouls. Um, Again, his defense is kind of right on the line of where it's always been from a DSI standpoint from high school to college. I don't again, I don't hate it. I am not. uh, Hey, I would let him slip because of X, but I'm not in love with it. I do think there is some room for improvement there. I think being more it's almost weird to say efficient on the defensive end where I want to see that stock to foul ratio. I want to see that change. I want to see it move in the, in the right direction. So I think there's some stuff from a decision-making a footwork standpoint that we need to work on, but it's nothing, not a problem enough to where like it's a, you know, I call it like a big concern.
0: Yeah. And it seems like a lot of his fouls are kind of symptoms of him being a step or two out of position and then trying to recover. So, you know, one of the, Cliches with defenses. Oh well, it's all about effort, and I, I don't feel like he's ever not trying. So when we talk about improving defensively, what parts of his game do you think would he would best serve him in that realm, and how realistic do you think those improvements are? Because there's so much more that goes into defense than just effort.
1: Yeah, I think anticipation. <clears throat> I think anticipating, um, reading, and anticipating instead of reacting. Like you said, I think some of those fouls come from half step late, half step beat didn't anticipate this well enough, maybe got caught with my hips in the wrong direction when I should have felt him moving this way, Uh, just stuff like that. But again, that's where NBA coaches, I don't worry about Bryce as far as a, you know, coach, coaching problem, coachability, that kind of thing. Um, So I think with an NBA locker room and an NBA coaching staff, like that stuff will be fixed.
0: Okay. Well, someone whose defense we, I I don't think there are really any questions about is Kaysen Wallace, um, point guard from Kentucky who, I, I i love him and if he t- tyler rucker my co-host on fridays uh kind of said he just feels like an easy evaluation where we just kind of know what he is and he didn't mean that as a slight or anything like that but he's just a really damn good basketball player so what are your kind of just big picture thoughts with Kaysen?
1: Kaysen is going to win you a lot of ball games. <laughs> um Being a you know smaller guard, if you will, let's look historically at the last couple drafts. You know what the NBA is not nice to point guards under six four. Yeah, like just straight up, they're just not nice to them. There were two or three really good ones last year, and they all fell. (laughs) Um, I will I would say you know in an NBA draft, where would you take Marcus Smart, but a better three point shooter? Like a pretty high. Like in my, I'm taking him pretty high. Yeah. So I think Kaysen is uh, wired the way I want a lead guard to be wired. He is wired in the way that I want my best defender to be wired. He does not really care about anything other than stopping you from scoring and making good decisions on the offensive end. He has been that way his whole life. Um, you know, archetype wise, he's just clean across the board. Nothing jumps up, jumps out as a weakness Um, You know, his lowest is at the rim, which is finishing at the rim two point percentage as well as blocks. But again, for guards, his size, uh, I believe that that number is, I guess, I mean, if you want to say average. So if your worst number is still like really good, uh, I'm in good shape. So I'm curious what he'll measure at the combine if he's if he's going to measure. I think, you know, they list him six, four, one ninety five. I don't know. I've seen him a lot. Six, four is going to be close. Um, but again, I just, I just think his catch and shoot threes, he just really has worked to improve them. I trust him as a decision maker with the ball off the ball. I trust him as a lead defender and he wants to stop you from scoring. I think the kid's just a winner. He's just going to win games.
0: Yeah. um just to, to kind of pivot to his shooting. And he's just under 41% from three on the year that wasn't really his calling card coming into the season. Do you think this is just one of those seasons where, you know, he's hot or is this an actual step in the right direction for him in terms of shooting?
1: Yeah. So this is where, this is where I, I think it's valuable to look back at high school stuff uh, in high school across the entire database. He is a pre-college. He was a 37% three point shooter. So even though it wasn't his MO, like it was still good. Mm-hmm. And that's why it was crazy when in high school, it was like, Oh, he's got to learn to shoot. It's so like, this guy's shooting 37%, like in high school. What do you want? Like <laughs> I don't know, I don't really know what else you want, you know, against good competition and good events. Um so I think like 2021, EYBL 17U, he was 35%, but he took he took, let's see, he was 84 from the line, 48% from the floor, and 35% on four and a half a game for a guy not known for shooting. Like I'm Pretty cool good. with that. So, is he going to be a forty percent guy in the league? I don't know. I I, it's hard to project a kid that's ever going to do that. So, let's Mm -hmm. say he ends up mid to high thirties. Like, I think that's a massive win.
0: And then you you kind of mentioned his, you know, at rim stuff being not awesome, but not also not bad. With his, I, I feel like he's one of these guys that kind of gets to the paint almost whenever he wants do you see that kind of similar and that the at rim stuff can improve? Or do you think there are improvements that he needs to make in his kind of on ball attack?
1: So he can make improvements because he's such a good athlete and he's so <laughs> physically and mentally tough. Um, so again, he's, he's, you know, percentile wise in the fifties, as far as jumpers um, pulling up, pulling up off the dribble, his runner, he's an 84th percentile kind the of runner. So when he can get around you and when he can snake and, and get into the paint, He's got really, really nice touch on the runners and the floaters. He's a 19th percentile finisher at the rim. So that is one place where I would look and be like, okay, let's, like, let's hone in on this. Let's figure out what it is. Is it the way we're jumping off our foot? Is it the hand we're choosing to finish with? Are we Are just running into traffic because we're too aggressive and don't want to pass and we're just kind of throwing up something difficult? Like Let's really hone in on what this is here. Um, but that's not something, again, his work ethic and competitive nature. There's really nothing in his game I'm concerned about. Like, I want this kid on my team, just straight up.
0: Yeah. And and he is a point guard, the playmaking where you are with the playmaking, because he he feels like a really good passer, but not necessarily a great playmaker. And by by that, I mean, he he makes the right decisions. He's accurate with his passes. He keeps the ball moving. He can run an offense, but he's not consistently, you know, passing guys open, manipulating defenses with his eyes and, you know, no look stuff like we saw LaMelo do. Obviously LaMelo is the outlier with that kind of stuff. But where are you at with him as a playmaker and how that Will translate to the NBA.
1: Yeah, uh, it's one of those where I'm not concerned. Um, I think some of the some of the guys again at at Kentucky. Um, sometimes it's you kind of stand and you have to watch what Kason's going to do. It's not some we're designing, we're drawing up plays. Kason your job is to pass people open. You know, if that was his job um, and it wasn't happening, maybe that's something I would be concerned about. But I just don't think that's his. I don't think that's his role. Um, based on my conversations, it's more of, hey, let's make the best decisions that we can. Let's keep it clean. Let's keep turnovers to a minimum. Um, and if you're having to focus on make clean decisions and you are still able to pass people open at the way he does, like, again, I think that's a positive thing.
0: And then just finally with the defense, that was his MO coming out of high school, where his, this dude is, you know, could be the best perimeter defender coming into the season. Do you think that's still the case? Where do you see him as a defender?
1: Yeah, so in our five metric suite, we're a soft scale kind of like school where it's zero to one hundred. Our purse, pers- our pure scoring, our floor general skills, our defensive impact—it's kind of zero to one hundred. It is rare, if ever, that a kid has a over one hundred DSI in uh, in an event. It just because you have to fouls or thousand minutes you play are heavily weighed into this. So if you're fouling a lot, like obviously. Your defense is not going to give – you're not going to get that much credit if i got to take you off the floor. Uh, Let's see. In his his database, one, two. Pre-Kentucky, in 60% of events he played in, he was over 100. (laughs) Like, it's stupid. (laughs) Honestly, it's just stupid. Um, His ability to body you and not foul and keep you from getting to the paint, his ability to chase you down and jump with you in transition and pin your crap on the backboard. Like it's just really aggressive. And again, he prides himself on not letting you score. So he's got a DSI right now in college basketball of 87, which is really, really impressive. One from a guard, two from a freshman. It's just very, very difficult to do. So I think that will remain his calling card. Um, What I don't want is people to look at him like he's some defensive only guy. Right. Well, I don't even mind the word specialist because there will be nights where it's like, hey, your job is to stop him from scoring. <laughs> uh, but I do think he can hold really good usage on the offensive end and will be able to pass, shoot, and score as well. So while it is his calling card, like I don't want him to get put in a box of like, this is like, your thing.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, because I, I, I think he's such a well-rounded player where he, he might be one of the most well-rounded guards in this draft class. Um, you, you mentioned the the DSI being 87 and how, how rare it is to be over 100, and you may have kind of hinted at it, but does that number or that grade typically skew more a little more favorable towards bigs and a little less favorably towards guards?
1: Um, I would say yes and no. So early About- in the season. Early in the season, bigs, experienced bigs on good teams who are whooping up on bad teams look really good in DSI pretty early. Sure. Because you're let's say you're 6'10 and you're a defensive rebounding and shot blocking machine, and the center on the other team is six seven, like you're probably not gonna foul. And once you get into conference play, you really see the start that level out. So we are along, we are far enough along in the season where i am not concerned about that anymore you know if about you start it. trying to make decisions based on kids you know like i said like three four five games in um sure yeah the bigs are like definitely going to look better let me see let me go buy our stuff in and by dsi let me, see. let me put some filters on here by game blade minimums and stuff like that let's see
0: yeah, no, and, and you know that that explanation makes a lot of sense. And uh, you know, not I'm not trying to falter, you know, yeah. or expose your your numbers or anything like that. Because I I just think a lot of defensive numbers in general just end up skewing a little more favorably towards big men because of the importance of protecting the paint and how rebounding ends possessions and how blocks and stuff like that can just you know inherently alter those numbers a little lo- a little more favorably.
1: Yeah. So looking at looking at college right now. Um, it looks like he's a top two percentile defender as far as DSI and other guys that are ahead of him. It's actually an interesting combination of bigs and guards. You've got Jamarion Sharp, DeMoy Hodge, Trace Jackson Davis, Colin Castleton, Ryan Calprenner. But then you've also got Jalen Clark at UCLA, mm. uh, Kobe Johnson from USC. Uh, let's see, Zach Eady. Really Sheboy. Yeah. Leaky Black who's always been a good defender. Taylor Hendricks. Um yeah. Uh Vescovy from Tennessee, which is really interesting. <laughs> that's what yeah. that one's a surprise. Yeah. And then you and then you get to guy like case and Wallace. So it is actually interesting that's that it's a fairly good mix of um guards and bigs there.
0: Okay. Fascinating. Thank you for that. Um finally, let's talk about Grady Dick, who you know, just lethal shooter. Way more than just a shooter, though. Um, you know, his you know he's proven that he can attack closeouts. You know, hit those one two dribble pull ups. Um, I think his defense has improved a ton as the season has gone on. Um, I actually kind of liked his off ball defense coming out of Sunrise, but he got roasted, you know, um, in the media for his early season defense. Uh, what are your just kind of big picture thoughts with Grady Dick?
1: Uh, Grady's awesome. Um, Grady's, Grady's the guy who I think I trust him to take big shots and big moments. Um, also, the kind of a guy, again, when you talk to people who have coached him and played with him, they like being around him. They like being around him as a player, as a teammate. Um, coaches have nothing but positive things to say. When you look at him historically, so again, pre Kansas, looking at his shooting, uh, 38% from three on 200 and 60 attempts and 80% from the free throw line. Look, six foot eight, uh, kid was 19 years old. I'm good. So you, you're you six, eight, you're a freshman, you're hitting shots on all three levels and your coaches love you. I'm in. We can figure out the defense. <laughs> and if we don't figure it out, there's a potential that he ends up one of those, you know, stretch four, three, four combos where let's be honest. We just know you're not bringing anything on the defensive end. So I'm going to need you to score enough on this side to make it worth it. Um, sometimes in drafts, there are guys who fit that mold. So again, yeah, the defense early on, uh, shock to the system of maybe athleticism or size as you jump up to the college level. But kids shooting like this, like, I'm good. I'm not really worried about anything.
0: So, you know, one of the tough things is when these prospects do have like an, an elite skill, like shooting, It's always all right. Well, there are going to be nights where the shot isn't falling. So, what else do you do Um, with Grady Dick? What is that for you? How how do you see him making an impact on nights where the shot may not be falling?
1: Yeah, I think when it's not falling, he's going to have to beat somebody off a dribble um, and and hit open teammates. So again, it's like you said, it's tough when your job is to hit those spot up spot up shots. Not falling, I don't know what you do. 13th or only 13% of his possessions is he a uh, pick-and-roll ball handler, but is an 81st percentile uh, performer as a result within those possessions. So I do think that there is some on-ball stuff there. I just don't think Kansas has asked him to do much of it. Um, He's really good in transition as well. So if he gets on an NBA team that really, really likes to run the floor, again, 74th percentile in transition both as a passer and and a finisher, so if you've got an NBA team that wants to run and run and gun, just r- run people to death, I think Grady's a fit there as well. So yeah, if it's not falling, maybe see a jump in the pick and roll, um, especially the passing, because it's just never going to be his bread and butter. But even to do it in spots, again, everybody loves the term wing initiator. So do I, they're valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and even to do that in spots when, hey, tonight, that's what I need you to do. Um, that's going to unlock kind of a whole new level for him.
0: Sure. And I, I think, you know, he inevitably gets compared to Christian Brown because, you know, new white shooter at Kansas. Um, but when you kind of compare that, they're very different players, obviously. But when you kind of compare the two as freshmen, Christian Brown was this lethal shooter as a freshman. But once teams kind of figured out that they could just run him off the line, that's where he kind of struggled the sophomore year, junior year, the defense picked up. He found that ability to kind of drive and kick a little more consistently. And that's where the leap for him came. Grady Dick, I think, is kind of already there with that ability to, you know, throw a shot fake out there because he is such a deadly shooter and his shot preparation is insane for his age. Um, And, you know, either hit that mid-range pull-up or get to the rim or make those kick-out passes already. So am I a little more excited about that? Or are you kind of seeing something similar?
1: As far as the shooting and making that jump?
0: Yeah, just the ability where... Okay. Yes, he is this lethal shooter, but even when you run him off the line, he's not dead in the water.
1: Yeah, and i th- I think I think to your point, we've seen a development in that literally just in the games this season. So I I do think I do think you're accurate seeing that. It's always tough to see people compare him and Christian Brown, even unintentionally. And I know that hasn't been done here. Um, Brown was a dog, dude. Yeah, he was, <laughs> like just, he was just so much fun. like top, top. One per like percentile competitor ever hit his, his um, shit talking. I think it was in the tournament, but it was just yeah, and perfect. everybody that's ever coached him just like loves him. Um, so yeah, again, Grady, uh, the floor general skills similar to Bryce's uh, sense of all general skills, they're kind of like right where they hovered in high school. Okay, um, again, if it was a huge drop off, that would be worrisome. So I think his ability to pass especially out of the pick and roll when you're getting run or people just aren't late to shoot. Maybe just have the team's best defender on you that night. I think that will unlock a, okay, Hey, we can get more out of him instead of just that you know, spot of shooting. Um, but again, the work ethic is there. Good teammate, good kid, coachable, like not concerned.
0: And then just finally with the defense, we talked about a, a little, are, are you really that concerned about it? Or do you just think the offense is going to be so good where most nights it's probably not going to matter?
1: I have some concern. I do have some concerns with foot speed, okay. um, the, the ability to turn and run. You know, can he get beat off sure. the dribble? Good thing is he has great hands. So I think his hands will make life really difficult. Again, being big, good length as well. Like, he's not going to be a pushover. He's not just like, oh yeah, I got Grady Dick on an island. Like, let's go. Like that. It's not that. Um, but there will be some NBA guys where I'm like, mm, okay, like I, I'm a little bit worrisome maybe if they get you out by yourself. But the offense, like, he's the guy you have to play shooting so good. You look they're not the same player at all. But Ryan Anderson had a long career and all his job was to do was hit those threes on the other side. <laughs> so, and I think Dick at this point is you know, he's going to give you more than that. So, 42.5 it looks like percent from 3, 85 from the free throw line. Um, and then 1.5 steals a game. So, at 6 foot 8, I would like to see more than 0.2 blocks per game. But the 1.5 steals can you got good hands. So yeah. Big kid, intelligent, good hands. Yes, concern, but he'll be okay.
0: Awesome. Well, Derek, this was a lot of fun. Um, very informative. Uh, I I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, please plug away anything and everything you need to, any big picture draft thoughts that you have, feel free to share them. The floor is yours.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me. Um, it's always, you know, fun to talk basketball, talk draft. I'll just tell everybody, Hey, go check out three row sports right now. We've got a free option where you can go see a whole bunch of stuff. You can ch- check kids in this draft class, um, check kids in this 2023 high school class going to every, you know, no matter where they're going to school, we, we've got historical stuff on them. So go check them out, learn about the metrics. I'm happy to demo. We've got guys who will demo. Um, and, and again, it's all free right now too. It won't be that way forever. So go check it out.
0: <laughs> well, it, there's a ton of information over there. Um, I, I, a lot of really smart people over there. Their information is some of the best. So make sure to go support Derek, go support cerebro Sports. Uh but once again I'm Tyler Metcalf. you can follow me on Twitter at tmcf 11 You can find all of our written work at noceilingsnba.com. It's 100% free. Uh just click that subscribe button while you're there. You can follow us across all socials at no ceilings nba and on YouTube at no ceilings tv. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review and five star rating. Till next time. See ya.